Ecclesiastes 7. This morning, we'll be looking at verses 1 through 4. What has Solomon taught us so far? Well, Solomon has taught us that it's really frustrating and hard, if not impossible, from our perspective, to make sense of life. Because this is a sin-cursed world. It's frustrating. It's difficult. It's an impossible puzzle. I'm thankful that Solomon didn't just leave it there. He had a number of personal reminiscences, teaching points, emphasizing that. But he didn't just leave it there. He gives us, in the rest of the book, practical help on how we should live, on how to fear the Lord. Um, Do you know everything? There is an easy theological question of the day. No, you don't. And I'm sorry to inform you, you will never know everything. Sometimes we like to say that when we get to heaven, we're finally going to learn everything and we're going to understand it all. No, you will not. When we're back on earth, when Jesus establishes his kingdom and we return to him and he makes everything right and we'll learn, from his, learn at his feet, Uh, And we'll have glorified bodies without any sin. You will continue to learn for the rest of eternity. Our minds are finite and he is infinite. You cannot know God's whole plan. Theologians call this God's decreed will. You cannot know everything of God's entire plan. But you can know how you should live. Theologians call this God's declared will. This is what you must do. This is what you must know. We can't know God's whole plan, but we can know God's revealed plan, and you must obey what he says. Often life's problems and difficulties baffle us. They mystify us as we uh, try to live. And what we're going to start learning here, the baffling nature, the mystifying aspects of God's, how we're trying to make sense of life, they will start to become clear as you obey the Lord. Life becomes clearer, its purpose and why you're here, as you obey the Lord. There's a Latin phrase I'm going to introduce to you. I have the smallest of training in Latin. It's at the top of your sheet here, part of the sermon title, Salvatore Ambulando. Now, if you have no Latin and you want to correct my pronunciation, that's fine. I'm not really concerned about the pronunciation. I don't care if you remember this phrase at all. It means it is solved by walking. A problem can be uh, solved by a practical demonstration comes from a philosopher uh, several hundred years before Christ. His name was Diogenes. Diogenes was the, the father of a philosophy called cynicism. And he believed that life, the, the true meaning of life and how life should be lived is by doing without as much as possible. So he had no home. He had no uh, possessions. He lived uh, by handouts and begging and he liked to make life difficult for people. Uh, he would 
you're familiar with the phrase trash talking, perhaps, when you're in basketball, okay? He would trash talk people who walked by, make fun of them, say certain things about them. And, and he was a really smart guy. He was such a smart guy that, uh, well, you might say he wasn't very smart, but he, he made fun of the emperor. I think his name was Alexander at the time. And Alex, by this time, Diogenes had, had he had a, a significant reputation as a, as a really good philosopher. Alexander wanted to see him, this guy who knew so much, and yet he's going to make fun of me? And so Alexander went up to Diogenes and, and said, I want to hear some truth from you. And Diogenes, in his trash-talking fashion, said, get out of my sunlight. Wow, that's quite a way to win friends and influence people, isn't it? One day, Diogenes was listening to a guy claim that motion is not real. There's no such thing as motion. There's some weird people out there, especially philosophers. My favorite weird philosophers who say that reality is just, it's all a figment of your imagination. So how did Diogenes answer this? Well, he answered that claim by getting up and walking. What did he do? He moved. It is solved by walking, Salvatore Ambulando. This reminded me of a circumstance since we were in Washington, D.C. Uh, my mind was thinking back to American history. Uh, one of my favorite stories of the Civil War is when General Bernard of the Union Army got an, ar- got an order uh, from the, the higher-ups that they needed to cross this certain river, the Chickahominy Chickahominy River. And so all the generals are just standing by. The major generals are looking at this river, trying to figure out how deep it is. We're just not really sure. You ever heard of General George Custer? Oh, yeah, we know about him. Custer was a, a famous Union general, uh, made major general at 23. And so Custer, he said, well, let me answer that for you. He got on his horse, rode down into the river, and he said, this is how deep it is, General Sometimes the, the, the most easiest answers are ones that elude people. The point of this expression in regards to Ecclesiastes is who you really are is seen in how you live. Who you really are is seen by how you live. In chapter 7 and in chapter 8, Solomon teaches uh, the beginning of chapter 6, verse 12. Chapter 6, verse 12. Who knows what is good for man in life? All the days of his vain life, which he passes like a shadow. God does, and he will answer that in chapter 7 and 8. And the main way that he teaches us how we should live is through Proverbs. Proverbs that are given here. Imagine that. Proverbs are found elsewhere than the book of Proverbs. They're found throughout Scripture. What is a proverb? Proverb is just a short compact statement. It gives you like a picture, okay? It's not telling you everything. It's not the the film strip or the movie or the whole thing. It's just a little picture here, and that's what Solomon uses here. In this first part, verses 1 to 14, Solomon Solomon details, this is how you should respond, Why? how to wisely respond in good and bad times. Verses 1 to 14, is about this, how to wisely respond in good and bad times. A number of 
way, circumstances that he will address here. Verse 1 kind of sets the tone. The wise know that death is coming. Verses 2 to 4, wisdom recognizes life's difficulty, especially death. We'll look at those two sections today. God willing, next week, we'll look at the last two, verses 5 to 14. Verses 5 to 10, there's going to be temptations that you'll have to, to stop living a wise life. Temptations you'll experience in good times and in bad times. And then verses 11 and 12, uh, prosperity, it does have its benefits if it's used wisely. Today we'll look at the first and the second lesson that Solomon has for us. The first lesson, verse 1, a good name is better than precious ointment in the day of death than the day of one's birth. The first lesson that God wants to make sure that you learn and put into practice is that this. How you live matters. It matters how you live. Most people, a lot of people, the majority of people have an attitude about life that live and let live. You do your thing, I'll do my thing. Or it doesn't matter how you live. Or God is my judge. Or what matters is that you're true to your authentic self. And I always think about that. Well, you're going to find out real soon after you die, that you lived authentically bad when you end up in hell apart from Christ. How you live matters. The first part, a good name is better than precious ointment, number one, helps us see this. A good reputation is better than life's greatest luxury. A good reputation is better than life's greatest luxury. A good name. This is referring to your reputation. It's not, you have a really, like Dan, Daniel, that's a really nice name. It's not referring to the actual name, okay? It's who you are, your reputation, um, how you're known, what you're known by, what you're known for. <clears throat> Thinking back to Washington, D.C., can we think of any examples of both notorious and Good reputations, famous reputations. Well, how about Benedict Arnold? Notorious reputation. The opposite of him would be who? George Washington, right? Think about it. Which one of those men, Benedict Arnold or George Washington, which one of them has streets named after them? Which one of them has cities named after them? Which one of them has a state named after them? Which one of them has a a capital of a country named after them? Well, and every time Benedict Arnold came up short and George Washington came out on top. Benjamin Franklin wrote, Judas sold only one man, but Arnold three millions, referring to the entire nation. Now, Benjamin Franklin was not a believer, okay? Uh, So he's really limiting Judas Iscariot there. But you get the idea. There's uh, the the city that the town that Benedict Arnold was from is New London. I think it was Connecticut. And when Benedict Arnold, when he finally went to the British side, he was given a command of an army. And he came to his hometown and just burned it down. How do you think that made the citizens feel about Benedict Arnold? Well, 
You can find out by their actions. They demolished every tombstone of the Arnolds. In the years that followed up until the Civil War, at a set date, they would create a plaster effigy of Benedict Arnold and burn it. And it's just because of the brutalities of the Civil War that they stopped doing it, but they started doing it in the last 20 years or so again. Burning Benedict Arnold because of his, his nefariousness and how terrible a guy he was. Names talking about your reputation. What about this precious ointment thing? This precious ointment. Oil was a, a, a regular part of daily life in Bible times. Uh, they used it for food. They used it for currency, how, did, how they would buy things. They used it for a cosmetic as kind of a thing to make you look good and, and smell good. They didn't have uh, you know, deodorant back then. It was fuel for lamps. It was medicine for healing. Uh, but here, the oil is not the everyday oil. Here, the oil is good oil, as it says here. It's precious oil. In other words, it's an expensive luxury item. Give you some examples of how it's used this way from the Old Testament. 2 Kings 20, verse 13. 2 Kings 20, verse 13. Remember Hezekiah was given 15 more years to live? And then emissaries from Babylon came to visit Hezekiah. And what did Hezekiah foolishly do? What did Hezekiah foolishly do? He showed them all his riches, all his treasures, his silver, his gold, the spices and precious ointment. Now, Hezekiah didn't say, hey, let me show you what brand of deodorant I use. He wasn't referring to the daily oil. He was talking about the expensive stuff. Psalm 45, verse 7. Psalm 45, verse 7. Psalm 45 is an enthronement psalm. They would sing it when a new king of Judah was enthroned. And in verse 7, it says, You, you son of David, you, you new king, you are anointed with the oil of gladness. Psalm 133, verse 2. Psalm 133, verse 2. Speaking of the, the precious unity of believers, is like the precious oil on the head running down in the beard of Aaron. One last one. Amos 6.6. 6. Amos 6.6. 6. Amos, the sheep herder, remember him? I'm not a prophet or the son of a prophet. I'm just a what? I'm just a farmer. I'm a sheep herder. But I'm going to speak to you, northern tribe of Israel, you apostates, you, you who live uh, in luxurious ease with the best ointment. Same phrase that's used here. Even then, this probably doesn't get where we need to go. So, you know, we have Father's Day coming up, don't we? Isn't that a shameless plug? <laughs> don't forget, Father's Day is coming up. <clears throat> okay. My kids will sometimes ask me, what do you want for Father's Day? I am not going to put on there, I need some new deodorants. Nope, not going on the list. I wouldn't put this on the list either, but some of you dads might like some new cologne. And you don't want just the kind of cologne you can buy at Walmart. You don't even want to go 
up a notch, and I don't even know what's up a notch from Walmart. It shows how good I take, okay? Keep up with those. One of those highfalutin stores up in Menor, okay? Um, you don't want to even go there. You want to go top notch. You want to get the best kind of cologne you could get. Well, let me tell you, I found it out for you. Ladies, kids, this is what to buy your dad for Father's Day. You need to buy them Clive Collection Number One. Clive Collection Number One. For Father's Day, it's a 1.7 ounce bottle of cologne for $750. Isn't that ridiculous? Dad, you're just getting deodorant, right? $750. You know how much deodorant you could buy for $750? That's what this is talking about. A good reputation is better than the most luxurious item you could buy. Than life's greatest luxury. Solomon put it this way in another part. In Psalm, Proverbs 22.1. Proverbs 22.1. A good name is to be chosen rather than great riches. What's his point here for you and me? Your focus in life must be on honoring the Lord. And when your focus in life is on honoring the Lord, the result of that is always good character. That is essential to gaining a good reputation. Your focus in life must not be on gaining life's luxuries. but an honoring the Lord, which results in good character. It is impossible to have this kind of reputation apart from faith in Jesus Christ. You must fear the Lord and him alone. You must trust in the Lord and believe in him alone. Follow him, obey him. That is the only way you can have a truly good reputation might say, well, I know lots of unbelievers who have good reputations. Well, they mimic certain aspects of Jesus Christ, but they do not reproduce the, the totality of it. That is idolatry, actually, because they are saying, I can live a good life apart from God. I have an authority other than God that I obey. And there's some similarities that is idolatry. The only, true, the only truly good reputation is a Christian reputation. And you build a good Christian reputation by being filled with the Spirit, by obeying the Lord, by obeying Him, and by faith following Him. That's what it means to be filled or controlled or to be led by the Spirit, to obey God by faith. How long does it take to build this kind of a good reputation? takes a lifetime, doesn't it? A lifetime. The rest of verse 1. The day of death, then the day of one's birth. Number 2. The only fulfilling life. The only fulfilling life is an honorable life. The only fulfilling life is an honorable life. Everyone here, everyone here has two important days in their lives. You have your birth day and your death day. Little kids, make sure that you know when their birthday is. 
Little kids will make sure that you know how many days until their birthday. One of the joys I've had in being here for such a a long time is seeing our kids grow up. I can remember, I won't name them, but I can remember you kids who are now, well, done with high school, coming up to me when you were little. Guess what's in 264 days, Pastor? Um, usually the safe bet is your birthday, and that's usually the case. We have, we look forward, our, our kids look forward to those days. Well, there's lots of planning, lots of celebration, lots of anticipation for that. How much planning, how much anticipation do you have for your death day? A good name is better than precious ointment and the day of death than the day of one's birth. Christians, we know what's going to happen on our death day, don't we? We will be at a moment absent from the body and present with the Lord. We know that. And glory, glory dwelleth in Emmanuel's land. Solomon's point here is that you must end with a, you must live with the end in view, not the present. Live with the end in view, not the present. And when you do that, that results in a fulfilling, honorable life. He's going to expand on that more in verses 2 to 4. But right here, he sets the tone for the entire section. You're going to have good days, you're going to have bad days, and you must honor the Lord in them. And you must focus on having an honorable life, a good reputation, because it matters how you live. How are you living? How are you living? Remember, the standard is not what you think how you're living. And the standard isn't how I think you're living. The standard isn't how someone else thinks they're living. The standard is who? God. The triune God, the Lord Jesus Christ, and he's given it to us in his word. So what are you living for? Who are you living for? How are you preparing for your death day? The second lesson that God wants to make sure that you learn and put into practice is in verses 2 and 4, is that wise living shows you know how short life is. Solomon follows up the importance of keeping a good reputation from the beginning to the end of your life with with this right here. Better to go to the house of mourning, verse 2, than to the house of feasting, for that is the end of all men, and the living will, will take it to heart. Sorrow is better than laughter, for by a sad countenance the heart is made better. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the heart, is in the house of mirth. Where do you need to go to know where to go in life? What are the street signs that direct you in the way to go? And I'm not talking about the street signs around here. Pet peeve. I remember this. It's a lot easier now, but the first five, six, seven years that I was here, you know, we didn't have smartphones. We didn't have Google Maps. 
Remember when you had to print out maps of directions and you carried an actual atlas with you? Remember that? I remember going door to door and we'd get a, a, a notification or note that I could visit this one person or want to take the gospel somewhere. And so I'd be coming up to a, a crossroads. I wonder if this is the road. And I come to a, a, a sign where they have the, the sign for the road. It would show you the, the, the only sign that they had would tell you what road you were on. It didn't tell me the crossroad. I can never understand why. Why do you do that? I'm sure there's a reason, but I never understood that. How do you know where to go in life? What are the street signs that you should look for? Direction. Solomon here, he says this, you will learn more about how to live by thinking about death. Coming face to face with eternity. You will learn more about how to live when you come face to face with eternity. You will not learn how to live from the party scene. Because that kind of living erases thoughts of eternity. Doesn't want to think about it. Let's just focus on good times right now. Let's just focus on entertainment. Let's just focus on making me feel good, whether by food or water, coffee, whatever your favorite beverage is, even immorality. Solomon gives us four lines of truth in verses two to four here. The first line of truth, number one, is that everyone will die. Everyone will die. That is the end of all men. Let me back that up in case somebody here disagrees with that. How did Diogenes answer that? How did General Custer? Let's just look at it, okay? I'm going to give you some scripture and then some by experience. Some scripture. Genesis 3.19. Genesis 3.19. God said to Adam, in the sweat of your face you'll eat bread till you return to the ground. Out of it you were taken Dust you are, do you remember the rest? To dust your return. One that you probably would not have thought of. I didn't until I came across it. 2 Samuel 14, 14. 2 Samuel 14, 14. This is the wise woman of Tekoa that came to David to give him advice. And the wise woman of Tekoa said this, we will surely die, listen to this, and become like water spilled on the ground, which cannot be gathered up again. What a picture that is. Take your cup of water, pour it on the ground outside today, and then try to get it all back. You won't. That is what our life is like. We will surely die if Solomon said in Ecclesiastes 3, verse 2, there's a time to be born and a time to die. Paul said in Romans 6, 23, the wages of sin is death. And the author of Hebrews said in Hebrews 9, 27, it is appointed unto men. Everyone will die once and after that, the judgment. There's the scripture how about experience? Have your bulletin handy? I have a lot of, I, I enjoy putting the bulletin together and finding the right pictures. I knew exactly where I was going for this picture. 
This is a picture that I put on the bulletin before. You might say, I thought that looked familiar. Uh, This is the Duck River Cemetery in Lyme, Connecticut. New Lyme, Connecticut, I think it's called. Front and center, right here, is Ezra Greenfield, one of my ancestors. He died in 1865. In that cemetery, I have ancestors that fought in the Revolutionary War, uh, the Civil War, practically every engagement. Greenfields came over from Scotland in 1712. First one, Archibald, was a ship guy. can't remember if he was a captain or a builder. Deacon in his Baptist church, which is really quite amazing because Baptist churches in America had not been around long. But what happened to Ezra Greenfield? 1865, at the age of 86, he died. 2021, at the age of 98, my grandpa died. Norman Greenfield, 98 years old. Remember, I'm trying to prove and show you here how everyone, what's the blank, will die. When I was a seven-year-old boy, second grade, riding the bus to school, I had a friend that we always sat together. One day we drove by his house. Nothing there but a smoldering remains. John had been playing with a friend with matches in a barn with hay. And his friend made it out, but John did not. Seven years old. One of our own, Lydia Ring, 19, went to be with the Lord. Do you, do you expect seven and 19-year-olds to die that young? Jim Carlson from our church, 2007, at the age of 44, died in a farming accident. Everyone will die. Because everyone, including you, will die, number two, you must seriously weigh this while you live. They will take it to heart. Now, had I had the opportunity to redo your handout there, I would have spelled, I would not have used the word this there. What is this referring to? That's referring to your coming death. You must seriously weigh your coming death while you live. You must take it to heart. You have to reflect on it. Your heart is where you think about things. You consider it. You weigh it. Proverbs 4.23, keep your heart with all diligence. Why? Out of it flow the issues of life. That's where your life comes from. Why, why do we need to take this advice? Because that's what will happen to you someday. It's just a matter of when, and we don't know the answer to that. Life does not keep on going. There is an end, and that must always have an impact on your life. So here's a statement that you will not hear many say today. You must live in light of death. And it is foolishness to say otherwise. Could Jesus come again? 
and we do not have to go through that experience of death, amen. And our response is, even so, Lord, come quickly. But if he doesn't, you will die. And you have to seriously weigh your coming death while you live. It is an appointment that you will not miss. Solomon doesn't give us any specifics here because it's a proverb. So our, what are some practical ways you can do? Verse 2, better to go to the house of mourning than to the house of feasting, for that's the end of all men, and the living will take it to heart. What are some ways that you can do this? Let me give you just three practical ways you can do this. Number one, read obituaries. Boy, this is really exciting, Pastor. I didn't say it. Who said it? Solomon did. And who was guiding him as he wrote it? God did. How do we do this? Read obituaries. Read the obituaries last night. I read about folks who are older. More and more, I'm reading of people my age because what's happening with my age, it's getting older. I heard some who are younger. I keep one in my Bible of a young lady from our town uh, who died a few months ago of cancer, 18 years old. I keep her obituary in my uh, Bible because this poor woman, she did not know the Lord. We, from a human perspective, failed to get her the gospel. I keep this here to remind me, why are we here? Why are we here? Read obituaries. Another way that you can do this is visit cemeteries. Visit cemeteries. Read the epitaphs. A lot of cemetery headstones today do not have epitaphs. They simply say, Dan Greenfield, 1969 to, well, 2023. I'm not making a prophecy. It could be, though, couldn't it? That's all they say. And when you look at those, don't just walk by, stop and think. This is a man, he lived all these years. Here's a headstone of his wife. Here's headstones of his children. He enjoyed marriage. He had a wife that he loved. The children are the evidence of that. He saw these kids, he think about that. And then think about, this is my end. This is your end someday. And then, of course, the third way is to go to funerals. Go to funerals. I know. Funerals, graveyards, obituaries are not always at the top of our list of things. Well, they're not on the top of our list of fun things we want to do. And that's Solomon's point, isn't it? We don't live for fun. We must live for the Lord. A good reputation, an honorable life. And when you seriously weigh the fact of death while you live, that brings us to number three then. Serious thinking makes you a better person. Serious thinking makes you a better person. Sorrow is better than laughter, for by a sad countenance the heart is made better. Sorrow and sad is talking about a serious mood Sometimes it's translated as vexation. 
Job said in Job 17, 7, my eye has grown dim because of sorrow. Have you ever just cried so much it's just hard to see? Psalm 31, 9, my eye wastes away with grief. And then Proverbs 17, 25, a foolish son is a grief to his father. The point is that life involves more than just laughs and good times. Life in a sin-cursed world involves more than just laughs and a good time. There's a lot of hardship. There's a lot of suffering. There's a lot of tears, anguish, sorrow, grief, vexation. The wise person who walks with the Lord recognizes this, and it says he, his heart is made better. His heart is made better. When you by faith embrace and not avoid these things, the realities of life, you're not living in denial of life in a sin-cursed world. You're learning how to live a wise, God-fearing life. It will make you a better person because you're not avoiding these providential circumstances, you're walking through them. And isn't that what God promised us? He'll carry us through. He's always with us. He'll make a way through the trial, through the temptation. He answers our prayers through those. And the whole point and purpose of his advice here is to help you to live a wise, God-fearing life. The foolish don't think about that. They only think about the present. Whatever gives them a thrill to look good, to feel good. A uh, couple passages that come to mind along this way. Isaiah 22, verse 13. Isaiah 22, verse 13. The Lord called for Israel to weep and to mourn because of their sin. What was their response? Let's eat and drink for tomorrow. We die. And that's it. So live it up. That's why we have Psalm 90, verse 12, that we read, meditated, and thought on today. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. What's that mean? Teach us to number our days. Lord, help us to seriously recognize the fact I've got 70, maybe what? 80 years. And we have to say, all things being equal, a lot of factors involved, all things being equal, I've got 70, maybe 80 years. Lord, help me to recognize that. Help me to live in light of that. And give me that wisdom, Lord. The last line of truth, verse 4, is that actions and decisions show your character. Actions and decisions show your character. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning. It's an act. It's a decision that was made. But the heart of fools is in the house of mirth. When your character is serious about life, that will be seen in the direction of your life. Wise people, wise people always recognize the fact, I will die someday and be with the Lord. Are you wise? You must live recognizing this fact you will if you're a christian you're going to die and be with the lord someday the fool live as if there's no end in sight 
I just keep living. Isaiah 56, verse 12. Isaiah 56, verse 12. Come, one says, I'll bring wine. We'll fill ourselves with intoxicating drink. Tomorrow will be as today and much more abundant. In the New Testament, remember Jesus teaching about the, the foolish farmer in Luke 12? I have a lot. Eat, drink, and be merry. What am I going to do? Tear down and build more. And God said, you fool. Not that eating and drinking and agricultural aspects are foolish, but that's what he lived for. He lived as if there will always be a tomorrow. And Christian, you must live wisely. You must recognize someday you will be with the Lord and will not be on this earth. A life devoted to comedy. A life devoted to levity. To good times. To parties and entertainment. That is foolish. It is as if there is no God. Wise living. Then, this is a... What's, how, how do you live a wise life? What's involved, what's in, in, uh, just assumed and part of this then and walking in the Spirit is self-discipline. You must discipline yourself that you will do certain things recognizing this truth and there's things I'm not going to do. I could do them, but in light of this fact that someday I will die and someday I will be with the Lord I have to pick and choose what I'm going to do and that requires wisdom and you gain wisdom by rightly applying God's word to your life and so you have to discipline your body, make it your slave so that you will not be disqualified. 1 Corinthians 9.27 Now, is God saying no more parties, no more rejoicing, no more good times? Is God saying, no more weddings? No more graduation get-togethers. No more fellowships as a church. Stop laughing. We all must be dour and grave. We're all going to die. That's not what God is saying at all. In fact, Solomon talked about it in the first six chapters, didn't he? Rejoice in the things that the Lord gives you. He's saying that in those times, always keep the big picture in view. Always keep the big picture in view. You won't, you can't know everything. We don't know God's full plan, but we do know what God has told us, and so we have to do that. And true faith in the Lord is seen by right living. True faith in the Lord is seen by right living. And here we learn that that involves that means that right living really matters and right living recognizes how short life is. True faith in the Lord is seen by right living and that is really important. That matters, verse 1. And it recognizes, right living recognizes how short life is. There's going to be things that you're not going to be able to make sense of in life. Boy, I don't get that. Why did that happen? It just don't makes no sense. What's going on? What do you do? Remember the Latin phrase? I forgot it too. 
Salvatore Ambulando is solved by walking. In other words, show your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ by living for him and like him. Show your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ by living for him and like him. While not understanding all the reasons and things. You're not going to get all the things that are God's department. Don't worry about that. You're not God. But do you trust the Lord? Do you believe in him? Then you must obey him. Show your trust in the Lord, especially during times where you're crying. This tragedy happened. I don't understand Lord, why did this happen? I will show my trust in you by continuing to obey you. That is what the Lord says we must do. What and who are you ready? Are you living for? What and who are you living for? Are you ready for death? Or are you, are you, are you of the opinion, I just don't want to think about that right now. You need to. It is appointed unto men once to die. After this, the judgment. When you know Jesus Christ, when you're relying on him, he helps you to live through those times for his glory so that you're ready to meet him. Let's pray.